0: Welcome to another episode of Chan with a Plan of the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. With Gen Z coming into the workforce the past couple of years, the four main generations in the workplace at this moment are Baby Boomers, Gen X, Millennials, and of course, Gen Z. Each one of these generations operate and work differently. In order for you to excel in your career, especially if you're a younger millennial or someone in Gen Z, you have to know how to adapt and collaborate with people in different generations. And my guest for this episode to dive deeper into this topic of how to work effectively in a multi-generational work environment is Mike Montague. Mike Montague is the founder of Playful Humans, a community designed to help the burned out and bored get re-energized and engaged with life. His mission is to help adults rediscover the power of play and avoid a midlife crisis. He is also a game show host, public speaker, podcaster, and writer. Now let's get into my discussion with Mike on how to effectively work and collaborate in a multi-generational work environment in order to excel in your career. hey mike welcome to the show great to be here good to see you yeah so i came to ask you to come on because there's uh multiple generations working in corporate america right now right so you have uh, baby boomers you have gen x you have millennials and then you have gen z am i missing any those are the main four right no, those are the main
1: four, but that's more than we've ever had in the, the history of our workforce uh, and really human evolution, which is, is crazy to think about because uh, the baby boomers haven't really started retiring yet. Uh, some of them have, but they're still a large part of our, our workforce and Gen Z has added in there. And just for the record, I'm in between. I'm one of those in-betweeners, right? I consider myself a Gen Xer and not a millennial but, uh, I was born the year before the cutoff there. So (laughs) a little bit of both.
0: So like when people ask you, like how old are you are, like, is it depending on the audience? So say millennial one way, or is it Gen X the other way, depending on who you're talking to? (laughs) I usually go with Gen X, but I feel like that's a millennial thing. Millennials don't like to be called
1: millennials. So, you know, uh, I just, you know, like to carve my own path, but I definitely grew up in a time, you know, before technology and everything. So I, when I when I was little, and this is gonna make me sound so old. When I was little, I was my parents' remote control, right? Like I had to get up and change the channel on the TV. So I was I was that part of the generation, but I grew up with technology. And I think that's what's cool about Gen Xers, is that we kind of like hit these milestones as technology was evolving, where millennials and especially Gen Zers. The technology was already in place. So you've grown up with it much more natively and as a natural response to it. But it also kind of means that you don't really understand what it was like before, or there's some different skill sets and things that happen, you know, in your understanding of technology as it goes through.
0: I grew up in a time where when you want to use the internet, you couldn't use the phone, you know, dial up back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, like, Gen Z is yeah. like, like, what's up Like, what's this, like, one megabyte a minute or <laughs> right. something, right? there right? <laughs> so, yeah going back to the, the topic at hand, again, we have four generations of people working in the same work environment, which, like you said, has never been done before. With that being said, there's going to be a lot of intergenerational conflicts in the workplace, like baby boomers, like, things done this way. Millennials like things done this way. So through your research uh, on this topic, what are some common uh, conflicts that you're currently seeing in the workplace when you have four generations all trying to work together?
1: Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, I was able to identify the top five, which uh, we can talk about any of these. We already mentioned technology. That's one, right? And so each generation I found kind of has their preferred method It's not like uh, it's 100% across the board. Everybody uses everything. But typically, baby boomers prefer a phone call, and they'll pick up the phone and call. Gen Xers prefer email. Millennials then will prefer a uh, text message, and Gen Zers are already using Slack and other direct messages outside of uh, that. So I think it's really interesting when you look at these. They just cause attention, right? If a Gen Zer is sending a Slack message to a baby boomer boss uh, who doesn't know how to use the technology or doesn't type as fast because they didn't grow up with that. Like it causes tension in the workplace that they're like, well, why don't they just come talk to me, you know, or something like that. And it, it frustrates people. Well, at the same time, I can say the opposite is true. So none of these are good or bad. They just kind of are. But if the baby boomer goes in and tells the uh, the Gen Zer face to face all of the stuff that they want done on this project they have to then like take notes retype it all out and everything it's like you could have just sent me that in an email and i could have copied and pasted that into the document i needed and saved a ton of time so like both ends of the spectrum and all the way in between have different preferences that need to be chosen at the right time Because if you don't use the right tool for the right purpose, you're going to cause miscommunications and and tension. But real quick, I'll I'll just run down the other one. So number one is not surprising to a lot of people either. It's the morality transformation. So no judgments here. But again, typically, the older you are, the less woke you are, because you just grew up in a different time and you haven't caught up with all of the different societal changes and things that might be more commonplace for younger people. And they just go, Oh, that's the way it is now. But the older people realize it wasn't always that way, that there are different challenges. And so when you start getting uh, other things, I've already mentioned a couple of these, but like cultural languages changes, uh, you know, slang changes over time, or just the language isn't appropriate anymore. Societal value changes. So maybe in you know, post nine eleven, we valued security a lot more. And, uh, you know, post COVID, our safety and our, our physical health value changed compared to what maybe our um, entrepreneurial values were before that and what the workplace culture was. So all of these things change over time and people at different stages of their career have trouble. The last one we haven't talked about is the aging process. So it's really crazy. But, you know, if you're younger, you can't really imagine what it's like to be a grandparent because you're, you've never been in that situation. You don't know anything that it's like, you know, over the course of the experience or any of that. But the same thing is also true. We think as older people that we remember what it's like to be a 20 year old, but we don't remember what it's like to be in our 20s in 2020. <laughs> Right. We remember what it's like to be 20 in the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s if you're a baby boomer Uh, or even, you know, further back. So what that causes is this disconnect of that, you know, married people don't know what it's like to be single. Single people don't know what it's like to be married. And it always seems like maybe the grass is greener or there's other challenges on the other side. And it gets really messy and causes a lot of miscommunications and, and tensions.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, again, like what you said about like the technology side, like there's like, these project management tools such as like Jira. So the younger generation is really into the technology and you can't get the baby boomer or even older Gen X to use it, right? So then yeah. the millennials and the Gen Z have to pick up the slack and like do it for them, right? So there is a problem, in my opinion, where the older generation are not trying to adapt or don't care to try to adapt to technology. So how does a company try to make sure that everybody's on the same page from a technology perspective?
1: Well, it's a great question. And it is a big challenge for sure because it also has to do a little bit with personality styles. So, you know, some people, there are baby boomers and, and you know, older Gen Xers that love technology and they're always jumping on the new thing and they're pushing and driving innovation in their companies. But for the most part, what happens is people get into their habits. So now you're talking about behavioral change of habits where maybe a, a baby boomer wants to be able to use JIRA, but they just forget, you know, they're like, oh, it's just easier for me to Call them and tell them what I need or, or, you know, send an email and check in on the progress of this project and not uh, not pull up the JIRA board and stuff. And then there are sometimes physical training in things that, that need to be done. So they really don't know how to use the platform at all. So I would say there's kind of four things here that I would recommend. Number one, you have to, as an organization, embrace a continuous learning philosophy that you're just, you're always going to be updating systems. You're always going to be changing stuff. Some people will always struggle to adapt because they don't like change and they're going to be a little bit slower than others. But you have to set appropriate boundaries too. So like we try not to fire people and let them go over text message, right? Like that's just not a cool thing to do. So we know that there are boundaries on technology and we just have to set it up. Like, hey, it's not okay to call somebody at nine o'clock at night. You can send them an email because then they can choose whether to to text it or not, or maybe sometimes even email isn't appropriate. But you know, knowing that like we can't cancel a meeting over email because they might not check it before they show up to the meeting. You know, so we need to send a, a Slack or something more um, instantaneous so that we get a response or pick up the phone and call them. I think the other key thing here is to put people in the right seats. So you already kind of hinted on it, but Put your millennials and your Gen Zers in charge of the technology. Don't put the the baby boomer uh, in charge of the the change thing because it's not going to work very well. But make sure that uh, you're also leveraging your younger expertise to teach the older generations how to use the technology and what they are. Most people and most of the technology is not that hard these days, right? It's designed for the mass audience. So most people can figure it out. They just might need more handholding. But I love it when I see a Gen Z or a millennial do a training for the company and show the whole company how to use Jira or, or any other tool.
0: So going to the baby boomers and older Gen X where there's that notion that they don't want to learn new things. So one of the issues with the pandemic is that there were a lot of layoffs. And from what I recall, you correct me if I'm wrong, is that a good portion of the layoffs came from the older generations. Is there a stigma when older workers are trying to interview for jobs and it's usually like a millennial or a younger person like interviewing and there's that uh, preconception that oh this person's older they might not be into new technology they're very old school like do you see that as well or and if you do like what is a good way to like mitigate those issues
1: i think there are i think there is probably some ageism on both sides of the spectrum right um i think there are A lot of millennials and Gen Zers probably listening that are struggling to get leadership positions because they're too young. And I was always that way in my career up until I hit like 40. And now all of a sudden I'm on the other side Uh, and it's like, oh, what the heck? How, How did I go from being too young to being too old in one year? And like I never had a sweet spot, but I think the roles changed so much. So. I would say a couple of things. On the hiring side, you just have to be aware of the stages of of life and that there is value to somebody who's different. So a lot of scientific research study shows that the best teams and the best networks of people are the most diverse. And that means diverse in every aspect of that word. So if you don't have anybody old on your team, you're going to struggle to understand and have the wisdom and the long-term vision that older people have. And you're going to have uh, trouble communicating and marketing to older generations or selling to them. So the same thing is true on the opposite side. If you don't have anybody young on your team, you're probably not being as innovative, creative, quick moving. You get stuck in the past and you stop challenging yourself and growing as much. And so I think you just have to realize that and say, hey, we need somebody from every generation on our team here. And there are different values and skill sets. So, again, I would also just uh, avoid stereotyping that just because somebody is older doesn't mean they're worse at technology. And just because somebody's younger doesn't mean they are. So, I see this a lot as myself as that again, cusper between millennial and, and Gen uh, X that. We grew up with technology. So when I started designing websites in my 20s, I had to code them by hand. I understand HTML and how websites work, where a younger person might be faster or better at the technology, but they don't understand anything about the code. They've been using Wix or other platforms like WordPress to design the websites. And if something breaks, they have no idea how to fix it because they haven't actually gotten behind it. So I think when you look at situations like that, you start to realize that everybody has a different value to the team and they can be important.
0: So going back to what you said about millennials struggling to get those uh, executive positions, the ones that do the hiring for those positions are Gen X and Baby Boomers. So where's the disconnect between helping a millennial get to that next level and join the adult table with Gen X and Baby Boomers?
1: I will say there's probably two stereotypes here. And again, we're talking about generalization. So some of these things happen to be more true in generations than others, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean everybody. So it might mean 60% of millennials are worse leaders than, you know, and it's 40% in baby boomers, but they're generally not huge trends. So I think there are two common, maybe misconceptions, generalizations, or stereotypes that Gen Xers and baby boomers have about younger people. Number one is, I think it happens to be true too. We're generally not becoming better communicators. So as we look even at what happened with COVID and the quarantine, are you thinking that kids that missed two years of school and in a human interaction are going to be better communicators than the, you know, class that just graduated before them? Probably not. There's going to be some sort of of damage or across the board, you know, general issues with, in-person communication, face-to-face, dealing with large groups or difficult situations that groups previously haven't had to deal with, if that makes sense. So I think communication is one. The other one is, is really like leadership and, and decisiveness. So what we found a lot is younger workers, just in a general scale, tend to work more collaboratively and as a team, which makes them great team members a lot, but it's not the stereotypical leadership that you would see. So if people are looking for somebody that's decisive, a strong leader, somebody to get a project done, somebody to push things through, they're not looking at those younger workers. But if you're looking for a modern leader, somebody who's collaborative, inspiring, looking to pull people along into a mission, I think you should look harder at Millennials and Gen Zers to lead more collaborative teams like that.
0: Yeah. So there's always going to be a shift in culture change as more millennials begin to manage roles. So, what would you say for the older demographic in terms of like anticipating that culture shift? What is some advice that you can provide to help them adapt? Yeah. I think there
1: are a couple of things here. Number one is, you have to realize that there is no like balance. There's no status quo. We can't keep things the same. There's no glory days, right? I think for some reason it's a weird cultural thing, at least here in America, where we think of like, oh, America had this golden age where everything was perfect. And in the fifties and sixties, it was all like sunshine and roses. But I think, None of us would want to go back to that time with no Internet or GPS or cell phones or uh, racial issues that we had and uh, standard of living, healthcare, dentistry that we had back then. Right. So I think what happens is we tend to forget the downsides of previous uh, eras and we we tend to like glorify or, or build up the positives of those. And so what I would recommend to older generations is to look at our progress and really try to set boundaries on the things that are dangerous. One of those for me, I think is technology. We tend to keep ourselves too busy and having Slack open 24 seven is not healthy or productive for you for getting work done, right? We need time to focus, we need space to think and be creative. And some of these things have been lost in our uh, workforce a lot. The other thing is it's really towards like moving people into a a direction of being responsible for themselves and being adults in a way. I guess there's not a better way to say that than responsible, but sometimes, especially large workforces, they like to be told what to do and people feel safe when they can check boxes and they can do a job and they know exactly what things are, but that doesn't help us. The further we go along with technology, if we know what the job is, if we can define it and it's really easy to follow the instructions, that means we can program a computer or a robot to do it. We don't need a human to do a job that is, you know, checking boxes and data entry anymore. So what we need is creative communicators and people that can solve problems and people that can deal with other humans uh, and stuff, because those are the jobs that computers can't do. And so... I think those are some of the strengths of older generations and they can help lead the younger ones into a a more modern place that's still based on human connection and creativity, our strengths as humans.
0: You bring up a good point because back in the day, it was the check boxes, right? It was like, you gotta sign a job and this is what you're gonna do and then that's it, right? But then as modern technology and as we head towards the future, people want more problem solvers, they want more people with creative skills, which goes to my next question. It seems like a lot of trending articles are saying that these are the new skills that you need to succeed. Again, data science is pretty big right now, like big data. So people are really diving into like SQL, right. Python, those programming languages. But you're saying from your expertise that creativity is actually something that a lot of employers and managers are looking for. So can you elaborate more on that?
1: Yeah, I'm not as dire as I think most of those predictions are. Again, I think they get misread. So is data science as a profession going up? Sure, it's growing, right? Is uh, customer service maybe going down because more people are buying online and, and stuff? Sure. But those aren't necessarily gonna drop off like a rock either or disappear, right? I think um, radio is a great example. You know, It was invented in like the 1900s. It's still around, people are still using it. It wasn't replaced by the internet. Have the numbers shifted in the jobs and how it's used? Sure. So let's look at the two that that we're talking about there. Number one, I think there are places for people who wanna be programmers and wanna help control this technology ecosystem. There's certainly something to be said for that, but more and more we're, we're designing programs that can self-write and self-check and, and analyze the data more and more that as computer learning becomes more interesting, there may actually be less jobs there, but higher level jobs, if that makes sense. You're going to have to get that much better to stay ahead of the computers. But where I think the big gap for me is, is, in that creativity and sales and communications. And I mentioned, you know, customer service as like a traditional retail role, but as in um, customer success and like helping people use these new technologies and learn them or solve problems for them because we can program computers to run without errors. We cannot program our customers (laughs) to run the same way. So there's always going to be this gap that we need humans to help other other humans, and so that's where I think the most interesting skill sets are for us is um, who can sell, who can communicate, who can solve problems, who can lead. There's also always going to be jobs for management and leadership and people that can project manage and and keep track of systems and and projects and move things forward. So for me. What I've seen is those are only growing, and and they're becoming more valuable as as less people kind of look towards that or or have other options, really.
0: Yeah, you make a good point in terms of like the automation, right? So like customer service retail, a lot of companies are going like way onto the uh, right side where they get or they're getting rid of the customer service people and using like self checkout, right? But some people still yeah. want that human interaction, so I, I think. Right now, I think we're going too far right, but there's. I think we'll come back a little bit to the middle uh, just to bring in some balance. Like, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think there is this overshift. And so right now we have a gap and I think we've had a gap for maybe the last 10 years or so. Like Once the social media algorithms switched and they became more powerful than the humans that control them, uh, I think we kind of hit this place. And you're seeing it with our, and I don't want to get political or anything, but like think about climate change and stuff, right? We either have to adapt our technology so fast that we can terraform our own planet, or we have to really stop and readjust and go backwards. We have to take stop doing some things that we're doing now. And I kind of feel like the technology you're talking about is the same thing. We either need to get these chatbots and the machine learning so good, so fast that they're indistinguishable from humans and we have artificial intelligence that can you know interact and have a conversation with people or we have to sh- pull back and we have to say okay look there are jobs for humans here we need to we need humans to do this and there are limits to what we want technology to do right and and there's this gap right now that's causing a lot of tension because things seems fake or they still break or, or there's you know gaps in our processes that we haven't closed yet
0: Yeah. And going back to uh, what you said about like the communication side. So like the Gen Z coming into the workforce, they prefer the text messaging, right? But I think having face-to-face conversations, I I think that's always still going to be there. But from what I've seen, a lot of Gen Zers are not good in face-to-face communication, whether it's like presentations or having meetings. So what's your advice on helping them like bridge that gap where like they're good on the text messaging standpoint, but from a face-to-face interaction, that they're still struggling with that.
1: Yeah, I would agree in general. Uh, Again, that's not true for everybody. There's always great communicators and performers and stuff. But a couple of things there. Number one is I think it's practice. And so what a lot of Gen Zers are not great at are taking risks because they've grown up in the social media, always on culture that if you make a mistake, your friends talk about it, or it goes viral as something dumb you've done on the internet. That's something that previous generations didn't have to grow up with. So we see trends like people not driving at 16, where that's crazy and unheard of. If you're a Gen Xer, the day you turned 16, you went and got your driver's license and you wanted freedom and you wanted to get out there. Now kids have other options. They use Uber, they still use their parents. They don't want to drive because driving is a risk. It's a mistake. It's You know, something outside of their comfort zone that generally, you know, you're not going to go viral for not getting in an accident. You're going to get in trouble or people are going to talk about it if you do. So, their risks have become higher in some of these things like public speaking and face to face communications or other risks. So, my advice would be to learn how to get outside your comfort zone and practice. So, I get to tell one of my favorite stories now. I tell this almost every podcast I come on. But when I was in my 20s, I got to open for Billy Idol, the rock star in Kansas City as a DJ, and I got fired live on stage in front of about 4,000 people. And that was not fun. But what I learned from that was after that moment, I was bulletproof. I can do any presentation for a corporate event for 25 people, and it's not going to be worse than getting fired by Billy Idol. Right? It's like once you get over these humps, they build resilience, they build confidence. And I think that's what's missing are are these, you know, opportunities, I would just say do it as much as you can. Get out there, lead, take some risks, volunteer to public speak, join a Toastmasters, do something to practice these and you'll build your confidence and resilience.
0: Okay, so sidetrack for a second about the Billy Idol story. So like, did you play a wrong song? Is that how you got fired?
1: Yeah, basically, uh, to make a long story short, they said it's a retro show and a rock show. So play a lot of rock music and don't play any Billy Idol songs. That was the instructions that that I was given. But I was a club DJ. And again, this was before uh, Internet. So I had CDs. And there are like two rock songs you can dance to. You shook me all night long and pour some sugar on me. <laughs> the, the rest are, are retro, uh, you know, dance songs, disco type stuff from the eighties. And it, the audience was full of soccer moms. So yes, I played um, like Jenny eight six seven five three zero nine and uh, Jesse's girl Rick Springfield, and they came out and they were like, "We said it's a rock show, play some rock music." And they were talking about the Rolling Stones and like classic rock. And at Retro Rock, so I played another song they didn't like, and I just went, Dish. they turned the lights down, set my sound off, and I was standing on stage in front of thousands of people and just grabbed my equipment, packed up, didn't get paid, didn't collect $200 or Pasco, just straight up to the car in the back.
0: Okay, so going back to the topic at hand, so it's not like people are don't know how to communicate. They're not taking the risk in order to be better communicators. So it's not really a communication issue. It's a risk-taking issue.
1: Right. I think so. And the rest of it, you learn along the way, right? I I think that's what's so hard about these aging differences is there's just lessons you learn. So as much as there is some baggage where an older person might not use the right words, right, they might say something that's not quite politically correct or still call it a fireman instead of a fire person or something. But younger people also haven't had as many experiences to learn when it's appropriate to say things, or when you can push and challenge your boss and when you need to pull back and just go along and and fit in, right? There's a lot of stuff about learning how to operate in an organization that just takes time and practice. So I think the more reps you get at it, it's like a muscle, right? The more you ask interesting questions, you do it with a, um, a nurturing tone, a sincere curiosity to learn and say, help me out here, right? Jen Xer, you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have. How do I bring up that I think it's a better idea if we go this direction, right? Without offending the, the team and get their help in those things. And you can start getting mentors and people to show you how to do these things. Because I think there are a ton of difficult conversations, right? You might be a leader and you got to tell somebody they have BO or that you have to let them go or just any type of uncomfortable conversation when you're a salesperson, you got customer complaints, or you have to talk about money and people's finances, or in customer service, you get angry and upset customers. And there's just things that you need to learn how to handle. And I think once you get a handle on those, then you become a lot more confident leader and a confident
0: communicator. Going back to what you said, I think there's a lack of assertiveness from the younger generation. They, they always want to be like people pleasers to their boss. But in order to be a leader, you have to have some conflict and really showcase the ideas that you can bring to the table. How does someone younger want to showcase their ideas and share their ideas without uh, ruffling any feathers with management that will tend to be older?
1: Sure. There are two uh, sort of loopholes. These are magic loopholes I think will really help a lot of people in, in your audience. Number one is questions and curiosity. If you ask questions... You generally won't offend somebody. There are some ways to use questions as weapons or to ask the, something inappropriate at the wrong time. But for the most part, if you, with you know sincerity, went to your boss and said, "Hey, Max, I don't understand. It seems like if we use JIRA instead of this other, you know uh, project management system, we would save a lot of time. I, what, what's your thinking? Why did we choose this one over here?" And hear them out. They might have legitimate reasons for that that you just haven't thought of because you're you're newer in the business. And then you go, oh, okay, I get it. And then we go from there. And other times there are things that just don't make sense, right? <laughs> Your answer might be, hey, Max, that's a really good idea. I think Jerry would be right too. But the boss's uh, brother-in-law works at this company. So that's why we're sticking with this one. <laughs> it's not going to change. So get used to it, right? This is the platform we're on. And you go, Okay, I get it. Now I learned something political about how to, you know, deal with the culture of the company and not just its systems and processes. So I think questions are good. The second thing is gifts. When you make something and you say, here, I made it and you put yourself out there, they can then choose to use it or not. So when I was a leader, I was a leader of a. um, An art department and a web design department, an advertising agency. I also did this uh, with a sales training company about building online courses. It's like, if you don't like my idea, then show me something better. If we all look at it as a team and we go, yep, that's it, I'll use yours. But a lot of times I can't trust you or it's hard to explain what that benefit is if I can't see it. So it might mean doubling your workload. I'm gonna have to do it once the way the company said or my leader wants it. And then I'm gonna have to do that same project again the way I think it should be done present both of them and say, here, I made these. Which one do you think solves our our problem best? And when you bring answers, when you bring solutions, leaders will generally pick the better thing or they'll be forced to explain why they are justifying the other decision.
0: So it's more about being curious and not saying, I think we need to change it. It's like, oh, I was thinking about like, why are we doing it this way? So it's more like going on a question perspective. And then on the other side, it's just your proactiveness giving the manager gifts is like, these are some options that I'm looking at, like, what are your thoughts? So at that point, it's up to them, whether they want to use it or not. So it's not more about like force feeding them. It's more about like, giving them the option of going one way or the other.
1: Yeah, leaders of any age don't need more problems. They don't need you to come and say, Hey, I have a problem. I'm stuck. I need your help. Uh, That's more work on them, right? You're, you're taking your problem and putting it on your boss. But if you bring solutions, you're saving them trouble, you're taking problems off of their plate and offering a solution that they can then choose from, any leader of any age is going to appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's a good point, right? Like, they want you to be able to figure things out on your own, and then like, let them know what's going on. So it's more about like, if you give me a problem, you better have a solution after you tell me what the problem is, right?
1: Yeah, and I think one of the best moments as a leader is when your team makes something better than you had envisioned in your head. So I, again, I always think back to my time in, in graphic design, right? And we're saying, oh, we want to do this company logo. And I think it would be their colors are blue and green. I think it might be cool like this. And then a graphic designer goes off and works on it, and comes back and you go, wow, that's kind, that's the vision we were looking for. But that's better than what the picture I had in my head was or better than I could do, right? A great leader will value people who can execute better than they can because Managers need to manage and performers need to perform. So think of like a a professional sports team, right? An NBA coach can't shoot a basketball better than the players. That's not what his job is. His job is to put people in the right positions, help them become better shooters and stuff. And I think that's what good leaders want. They want people that can come with some sort of creativity and solution and innovation that's better than what they had imagined or what they could do themselves and take projects further or solve bigger problems than they had in the first place before they hired you.
0: So sticking to this theme, in terms of the education system, it's still very checkbox heavy, right? Like, here's the exam. This is when you study for it. You have to memorize these facts. This is a research paper. Do some research and present me some findings. So it's still very here's the check boxes. So how right. does a Gen Zer go into the workforce and build up their creativity and problem solving skill set in order to help deliver value for the companies that hire them?
1: It's a great question because it's a really tough problem. I think schools are getting a little bit better at this. But here's the thing for the first 18 years uh, of your life or, or, you know, 24. now uh, if you're getting master's degrees and stuff, there's a final exam. As soon as you enter the workforce, there is no final exam. There's just tomorrow. So occasionally you might turn in a project and get feedback on it and stuff, but that's not the final. That's that's a homework assignment because next week or month, you got to do it again, right? And so we switch from what's called a finite game where there's measurements and there's scores and there's starts and stops to the infinite game of life and business where the whole point of life and of business is to keep it going. So there is no finish line. We want to play a game that is much longer term. And so I think you have to get used to finding moments of feedback, finding ways that you can get a a positive stroke or feedback from your boss and let you know whether you're going in the right direction or not. But we also have to realize that we're not ever finished. There, There is no finish line where we go, oh, I get to keep my job Forever. And uh, I'm a good employee and I'm all completely safe that there could be a COVID and, you know, a whole bunch of people get laid off and nobody saw that coming uh, at any age. Or it could be a technological innovation that makes your industry obsolete or the company gets bought or sold. And so a lot of people, I think, struggle with that. But I love what you said about once once you go to that creativity and resilience and once you know that you can do something, you can do it for somebody else too. So if something bad happens or if the market or industry changes or something, you can go do that for somebody else. So in my career, I focused on things like marketing and sales and transferable skills like creativity or public speaking that if you can sell There is always going to be a company who needs to hire a salesperson uh, that can sell. You will never need for a job for the rest of your life. And I think the same thing goes with leading people, moving projects forward, public speaking and presenting. Writing is another critical skill. So many people are becoming uh, worse writers and communicators that I think there's a large bucket of stuff there that I might be biased. That's what I've chosen for myself. But I, I think become a lot more valuable as you look through that are taught in schools, but they're just not reinforced and valued as much, I don't think.
0: You bring up a good point in terms of the your example about like there's a final exam at the end of a course and then you're done, but in work it's, there's only tomorrow, right? And I the other thing that's hard for recent graduates to adapt to is that there isn't just one way to do things. So there tends to be that perfectionism yeah. where they want to have a specific answer to make sure that they impress their boss, but there might not be one specific answer, there might be multiple approaches to a problem to solve, right? So I think that's also a gap uh, right now between uh, transitioning from education to the corporate workforce.
1: That's a really great point. So let me highlight that a little bit. Number one is, yes, sometimes in business, there are only bad answers. (laughs) We're going to lose this client, or we're going to lose this employee, we have to choose one of the, the two, like, Sometimes there are just bad options. Also, the opposite is true, what you said. Sometimes there's multiple good options and those are even harder. So I would say at the company I work for, that's what we struggle with the most is there are a lot of great directions we could grow the company in. And we have to say no to some really good ideas so that we can focus and execute on the one that we think is gonna be better. And so, um, and there are no guarantees in that. We think it might be better, but we don't know for sure. And there are good cases on both sides. So I think that is a challenge. I think people do just human beings. So that's not a generational thing. All humans struggle with choice and opportunity costs and understanding, you know, one way or the other, but they also struggle when their path is not chosen. Right. So don't take that personally, just because your boss or the organization wants to go in a different direction doesn't mean that you're not good at your job. Doesn't mean you didn't have a great idea. It might mean you didn't communicate it as well as you could have, but it could also just mean that they have different priorities and they're in a different situation than you are. So I think don't take those things personally, but also you have to realize that there is no, like you said, one answer, which I think a lot of people struggle with, especially in their careers where they go, if you find your purpose, you never work another day in your life, Max. Well, that's not true. One, we all have multiple purposes. There are lots of different careers we could have. You're probably gonna have three or four throughout your lifetime. Number two, there even if you find something you love to do, there are days where you have to pay your taxes, where you have to fill out your TPS reports, <laughs> where you get a whole bunch of customer calls and it was frustrating you didn't get any work done. There are still going to be bad days, weeks or months, even in careers that you love. And I don't think we give that message to younger workers enough.
0: And Going back to what you said about like they might not like your idea, I think the younger generation still has a hard time grasping between like business rejection and like personal rejection. Like they're not rejecting you as a person, they're rejecting your approach. So, how can one like change that type of mindset?
1: We call that identity and role separation. So, what you need to do is think about who you are as a person and your value as a human being on this planet. And what you do for a living is a role you play. So think about it like a play, you're putting on a performance. Tom Cruise is not a top secret agent, right? He's playing the role of one. So if the film flops, Tom Cruise is not a terrible person. It was his performance in that role that flopped or the director or something else outside of his control that caused the movie to flop. And you have to think about your job in a very similar way that while you're investing your time and energy and it is your idea or your work product, It's not you. You are still a 10. You're still awesome. You can do it again, but you're not going to take that loss personally. That's feedback you got from this situation that you misread or changed or or didn't understand or somebody else just made a bad call. Sometimes managers and bosses are wrong too, right? They don't know everything. So I think that comes with time, but there are some things that you can do to start building your self-esteem outside of your work. And to use things like uh, meditation or journaling or other uh, feedback loops to make sure that you're understanding why they didn't choose that idea or didn't go with your thing or you got negative feedback because it's going to happen, right? None of us get all green lights uh, down the road to success. You're going to hit some red lights. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get negative feedback. People aren't going to like it. And one of the keys to being successful is being able to read that accurately. Was it feedback from an idiot who didn't get the joke? Or was it feedback from somebody smarter than you that knew something you didn't? Uh, is it feedback from somebody that matters, like your boss or your client? Or is it feedback from somebody not involved in the project at all that just thinks they know something from the outside, right? You have to learn how to judge all of those things and weigh them accurately in, in order to find success.
0: Great. and. As we discussed before, there's going to be more millennials coming into managerial roles. As a new manager, you tend to inherit, majority of the time you inherit a team. So you'll have like various generations that you have to help, right? And manage such as Gen Z, other millennials, Gen X, and potentially baby boomers. What's some of advice that you can provide to millennials who are managing a multi-generational team that they have to ensure that the goals that they've been assigned can be utilized with the team to help complete the business's objectives?
1: Another great question. I think the short answer is you have to lead the team, but manage individuals. And so a lot of people make too many mistakes. And I I think it's just part of uh, what happened in our culture when we hit industrialization and we started scaling things is like, even in school, right? We have to make this rule for everybody so that it's fair. And that's not fair because everybody is different. So you're putting some people in harder situations than others when you make blanket rules or statements or even try to like coach people publicly, right? There are some things that you don't want to bring up in a team meeting in front of everybody else you want to address privately. There are other things where it makes sense like the whole team needs to know where we're going. So that's what I mean by lead the team. So you need to get your team together and make sure we're all focused on a common vision, a common goal. We know what the top priorities are. We know what the deadlines are that we're trying to hit and everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction so that we can go as fast as possible. But then there are other things that we need to manage individually. And those are things like communications or motivation and what's going on Did this, um, you know, Gen Xer or, or baby boomer just have a kid or grandkid or have an illness or get a divorce or have to move cities. Did this uh, younger worker need to find a place to live or lose a roommate or, Uh, is starting to get married or have a a bad breakup or things. There are other things that affect people's performance besides the work environment. And that's where we need to get really good at understanding these individuals and talking with them on a personal level. And I, I recommend weekly individual meetings where you're really getting to know them, what's holding them back, removing roadblocks for them so that they can do their best work. And I think that's your job as a leader is to put everybody else in the best position to win and and do their best work.
0: And what advice do you have for Gen Zers going into the workforce, working with three other generations, and then on top of their own?
1: Well, it's probably advice for everybody, right? But I think especially younger generations, you've grown up with parents who love you and, and people that make it about you. And as soon as you join the workforce, you realize that it's not about you it's about the owners of this company or the profitability of the company and other people. And they really, um, you know, might care. They care about you as a person to an extent as a coworker, but they're not going to change their systems or their rules to fit you. You have to change to fit that situation. And then you're going to have some tough calls. So sometimes you're going to have to decide. Whether this organization is something that you can support and what you want to do and you can fit into these things or if that's not right for you and that's not a good fit, you know, so uh, another story I tell a lot is when I was in radio and I when I was a kid, I that's what I, I wanted to be a radio DJ. I wanted to be cool, have my own show and, uh, you know, be funny and entertaining on the radio And uh, I was also, I mentioned, you know, good at computers. So I did web design and stuff like that. And so I didn't want to go be a web designer because I was like, oh, I don't want to be a nerd and be stuck in a room by myself behind a computer all day, right? When I was making a choice about my career, I was like, I want to be funny and be on the radio. And guess what the radio job is these days? Being stuck in a room by yourself behind a computer all day. It pays a sixth of what I made as a web designer And you tell the funniest joke you've ever thought of, and nobody laughs. You can't hear anybody laugh because they're out in their car or their office or or home, right? So it was not what I thought at all. And I think don't be afraid as you get into careers to decide, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. This isn't what I want to do. I want to move in this direction. People get hung up too much on their sunk cost, like I got a degree in this, so I have to stay in this profession, or my parents wanted me to be a lawyer or whatever it happens to be that all of those things are options for you because you've got the background, but it doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life. So find something you love, have some fun with it, you know, stretch your boundaries, get creative, try things. One of the best things about being young is that you don't have a lot to lose. So I think people misunderstand that too. If you wonder why baby boomers or Gen Xers play it safe, it's because they got a family and kids and they get big retirement and a 401k they can lose. Like if you got $4 in your checking account and you just graduated college, go make some mistakes and have some fun because you can lose all your money and you're only going down $4.
0: <laughs> That's a good point, right? Like you tend to be more risk averse as you get older because you got more to lose. It just goes out to the technology, right? They, they don't want to try new things because it's, it's a form of risk taking compared to someone who's younger, who's really willing to adapt and like learn new things and make mistakes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there are advantages to every age and there are disadvantages. So when I was young, I tried to really think about mine, like with the DJ stuff. I knew that when I was 40 and married, I don't want to be out in bars and clubs till one or three o'clock in the morning. Right. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a cool 40 year old DJ. So I knew that there was like a window for that. And oh, I could try some things. I could go take a swing at being in entertainment and, you know, see if I become famous and get viral when I'm 20. But as I grew up, I go, okay, now shifting, I need a little bit more security, or I need higher pay, or I need better hours. And you can start making these judgments as you move through your career. But when you're young, man, it's a chance to try everything, try it all on, see what fits, see what you like and what you don't like and, and take some chances. And you can always bounce back from that.
0: Great. And I want to end this podcast conversation with a personal question for you. So my podcast deals with helping career professionals overcome challenges to further and excel their career. So can you tell me about a time that you had a major roadblock or challenge in your career? And what did you do to overcome it? And how did that make you a better professional over time?
1: You know, the Billy Idol one was interesting and fun. And uh, it's a great story. I love it. But that wasn't really it didn't change my philosophy because I went in there thinking like, again, I have nothing to lose. I get to say for the rest of my life that I opened for Billy Idol and I can choose whether I tell people how that ended or not. Right. So I always put it on my resume, but the other one I think was the harder one for me when I got into radio and I burnt out and I realized that it was like, Ooh, this is hard. The hours are not great. The pay is even worse. And it's not what I thought it was. It was really tough for me to switch and to do something else. So, it's happened a couple of times in my career and I bet it will happen to everybody listening here where you'll get to a point where you go, I was going down this path and it's just not what I thought. It's not giving me the fulfillment. It's, it's not, not finding the success. It's a lot, you know, I want to be careful here because you shouldn't change if you think it's difficult, everything is difficult. So, you know, keep going if it's hard and it's a challenge, but if you decide that it's not what you want any longer, being able to change dreams and not get hung up on that and be able to change your situation, I think will make you a lot more successful and happy because you won't get stuck into this groove that maybe doesn't exist anymore, or it's not what you had in mind and and you need to pivot and go in another direction. So I, I think that's the biggest lesson learned for me is continuing to evolve and find that next level. Because again, there's no finish line. So I think of it like a video game. Oh, I leveled up. I got to a, you know, boss level. But now I have to find my way in this new arena, an area that I haven't explored yet.
0: As the saying goes, winners are able to quit on the wrong thing to get to the right thing, right? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, not
1: everything is going to work and not everything is a great idea. But I think it's so funny. We have this weird culture where, you know, you're not allowed to quit or quitting's bad and other things. Well, you know quitting smoking is a really good thing to do, right? So I think when you figure out how to quit and pivot towards something else that you like, but still do that with respect and that you're not leaving other people in the lurch, you're putting your two weeks notice in, you're you're doing things for the right reasons. I think that's the key. The, the quitting that's bad is when you're giving up because it's too hard or because you're scared or you, know, you took something too personally. Those are, are different reasons.
0: Great. And again, I really appreciate your time, Mike. How can people find you online to learn more about what you do and how you can help?
1: So I have a couple of things.
0: A lot of what we were
1: talking about today is from my main job at Sandler Training. You can find Sandler at sandler.com. We do sales, leadership, and management training for companies. But I also have this passion project of my own that's called Playful Humans. And it's at playfulhumans.com. There's a nice podcast and a community of people trying to engage with life more and just have more fun and find more flow and fulfillment, really helping people reconnect with their humanity after COVID, but also reconnecting with their energy. So many people are, are burnt out and bored and, and stuck in this time. And I'm trying to help people re-energize and, and re-engage and be more
0: playful humans. Sounds great. Again, I appreciate your time, Mike, and best wishes to close out the year strong. Thank you. I appreciate it, Max. Thanks for the time. Have a good one. Thank you again to Mike Montague for coming on the podcast and sharing his insights on strategies on how to effectively work in a multi-generational work environment. If you want to hear my take and my insights on this topic, make sure to check out Chan Cap this Friday morning on all popular podcast platforms. Again, this is Chan with a plan of the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening.